Good morning, church. Good morning. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church. It's good to be in worship with you this morning. I'd invite you to find the attendance pads and fill those out, pass them along so that we have a record of your presence here in worship with us this morning. We always like to uh, know who was here and, and uh, want to notice those who are worshiping with you this morning. And if you didn't uh, greet them on your way in, be sure to greet them on your way out. Uh, we are here as one church family and uh, the body of Christ, and it is good to be gathered together for worship. Uh, as you fill out those attendance pads, also note the announcements that are in your bulletin. Uh, just a couple that I want to highlight. The Festival of Sharing is coming up. We uh, just have a couple more weeks, about two more weeks, to get those Festival of Sharing kits in, the hygiene kits and the school kits. The information about that is in the bulletin announcements. There's also uh, information out in the narthex about uh, what needs to go in those kits and how to put those together. So uh, please take a look at that and bring those in in the next two weeks. And uh, then also the men's garage sale that is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And uh, there's an announcement about that. You also have a flyer in your bulletin uh, for if you have large items that you're donating, we'd uh, like to know that ahead of time, so fill that out. Also, if you need help getting those large items here to the church, uh, let us know that and we can uh, help transport those, those items here to the church. Uh, so you have that announcement there. I just want to say welcome to those who are worshiping online with us this morning. It's good to have you in worship with us as well, and welcome back to the choir. It's good to have you uh, here with us leading this service, and uh, yes, wow, wow, they haven't even sung yet, and they're already getting applause. That's, <laughs> that's pretty great, uh, but we are here to worship God, and so uh, let us be in an attitude of worship as the choir presents the music of the introit. Please stand with me for the call to worship. We gather to worship the one who created creation out of chaos. Our cries of joy join with anthems of the universe. We gather to lift our praise to the God who gives us voice. We bring the songs which echo in our hearts all week long. We gather as the children of God, our joy unbroken in God's love. Let our joy resound through singing, teaching, and reflecting on the word. Please join with us in the hymn For the Beauty of the Earth, hymn 92.
You may be seated. Please join with me in the opening prayer. God of all truth, whose reality is far beyond the religion we profess and whose ways are broader than our flawed human precepts, we would honor you with our lips and our lives, worshiping you above all else in life and welcoming your transforming presence within us that we might become doers of the word who offer healing to the world. Amen. As you remain seated, we're going to sing our prayer hymn as we prepare our hearts for prayer this morning. It is in the hymnal number 402. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Let us sing together. Oh, I 
pray. A gracious and holy God, we give you praise. You alone are holy, and yet you call us to holiness. Lord, you have created us in your image to be your reflection here on earth. You who are perfect love and righteousness. And yet, Lord, we have fallen, we have failed so often to be that reflection of you. Instead, we have lived for ourselves, for our own wants and concerns. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for all those times that we have thought of ourselves over others, that we have placed the things of this world ahead of your righteousness, your kingdom. Forgive us and restore us to your presence once again, Lord, as we come before you in this time of worship. Lord, thank you for the call you have placed upon us to be your holy people. Lord, in this time of worship, we offer our prayers not just for ourselves, but for our hurting and broken world. Lord, especially we cry out for the people of Afghanistan who are going through such trying and turbulent times, situations that we can't even imagine here in this country. But Lord, we know that you are Lord and God, not just here, but all over the world. Your sovereignty reigns over all, and so we pray for your will to be done even there in Afghanistan. We pray for your protection upon all peace-loving people who are giving themselves over to you. We pray for you to change the hearts of those who are bent against you and against other people, that you would bring repentance, that you would bring redemption and reconciliation throughout this world. Lord, we pray for the people in Louisiana with the the storms coming their way. But we know that you are God over all storms. And so we pray for their protection and their shelter. We pray that uh, all people would, would find a place where they can be safe to weather the storms. And we pray that their souls might rest peacefully in you. Lord, we all face those storms in our lives. We pray for your peace to reign in our hearts and in our spirits so that we can live faithfully as your precious children. We pray all these things, and we offer you our worship and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our risen Lord and Savior, as we offer to you now the words that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers forward to pass the plates as we continue to worship God through the giving of our tithes and offerings.
please join me in the prayer of dedication. Our hearts overflow with thanksgiving for all the bounty you entrust to our stewardship, O God of light. You have reached into the shadows where we often flee to rescue us and give us your work to do. As you have freed us from the chains of sin, we seek to offer healing to others as we listen and share and do. Bless our offering of self and substance, we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
Our scripture lesson comes from James chapter 1, 17, verses 17 through 27. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any of If any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. There's a new condition that arose in the world uh, along with the rise of COVID-19. The condition is called Zoom fatigue. Zoom is the now ubiquitous online platform that a year and a half ago most of us had never heard of. It allows you to have meetings online that previously would have been held in person. You sit at your computer and you can see and hear others who are in the meeting with you. As, as helpful as Zoom was for getting us through that time period when we couldn't have in-person meetings, and as great of a tool as it is and will continue to be into the foreseeable future, it has caused problems for some. I happen to be one of those people that has suffered from Zoom fatigue. And by Zoom fatigue, I, I don't just mean that feeling of, oh, I'm tired of dealing with this, or, or I don't want to get on yet another Zoom meeting. Zoom fatigue is more of a psychological condition. It's the feeling of being absolutely drained by a Zoom meeting. Drained emotionally, psychologically, even physically. Drained in ways that never happen with an in-person meeting. The phenomenon was common enough that it was given a name, and like I said, I've experienced it firsthand. No one knows exactly why this happens, why an online meeting would be so much more draining than an in-person meeting. I do have a theory, though. My theory is that it has something to do with the fact that I'm seeing myself throughout the entire meeting. There is me on camera in one of those little boxes, and there is everybody else in the meeting in their own little boxes, and you can't escape the feeling of being looked at, watched, analyzed constantly. If nothing else, I'm analyzing myself constantly. Even if nobody else is looking at my box, I'm always looking at it, and I I feel like they are, and it's that feeling of being constantly under the microscope that causes the fatigue. 
Now, you don't have to remind me that people can see me when we're meeting in person. I don't imagine that I'm invisible when my face isn't on the screen. But when we meet in person, I don't have my own face staring back at me, seeing every movement that I make, being made aware of every hair that's out of place, and what my expression looks like, and whether I look like I'm being attentive to the person that's speaking, which obviously I'm not because I just told you what I'm paying attention to. (laughs) Not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. I got to thinking about that, uh, uh, about the way we look at ourselves in a mirror in the morning when we're getting ready for the day, and maybe now and again throughout the day we give ourselves another little check in the mirror. But for the most part, once we walk away from the mirror, we leave it behind. We don't think too much about it anymore. James says immediately we forget what we were like in the mirror. That might be a bit of hyperbole, but his his point is well taken. When we walk away from the mirror, we don't spend the rest of the day thinking about what we looked like in the mirror. And then I got to thinking, what if we actually did walk around with a mirror aimed at us all throughout the day so that we actually would see what we look like in every moment? What a horrifying thought. Zoom fatigue wouldn't even begin to compare with the psychological breakdown I would be facing if I had a mirror aimed at me every moment of every day if I couldn't switch off that awareness of how I look and and that constant nagging concern of how I'm coming across to others all the time, I might not ever leave my house again. You'd have to call the DS to send someone over and drag me out of the parsonage. Of course, the the point that James is trying to make has nothing to do with physical appearance or or facial expressions or or body language or, or anything of that sort. James is making a moral and a spiritual point here. He's talking about living out our faith, leading lives that reflect the truth of the gospel. This does have something to do with how others see us, but it's not about our physical attractiveness or or the style of our clothing or how well our makeup is done. I'm speaking in general terms here, not just about myself. What we need to be concerned about other people seeing in us is the gospel. When someone looks at the way I live my life, are my actions lining up with what I say I believe? Is my life an accurate reflection of my faith? This is what James means by those who look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what they look like. The Bible is a spiritual mirror. It shows us in all of our glory and in all of our failings. The Bible shows us how God created us to live, and it shows us how we actually live. It reveals all of our vices and the devastation to which all of those vices lead. When we look seriously into the Word of God, we see who we really are and who, by God's grace, we are called to be. James says that those who are hearers of the word but not doers, those who listen to what the Bible says but don't put it into practice, those who sit dutifully through the worship service each week, perhaps even nod in agreement with the sermon a time or two, 
but then don't put in the effort to apply those teachings to their lives. It's like they're looking at themselves in the mirror and then walking away, forgetting what it is that they've just seen. If you look in the mirror in the morning and you see that your hair looks like a rat's nest and your eyeliner is running down your cheek and you have a big mustard stain on your shirt and mud stains on your pants and then you go walk out the door and go into the office just like that well that mirror didn't do you a whole lot of good did it might be better if you hadn't looked at yourself in the mirror at least then you could say well I didn't know I had no idea what an awful condition I was in but you saw yourself in the mirror and you chose to go about your day like that anyway not caring about any of those things. So too, it might be better for someone not to read the Bible at all, not to ever go to church, not to ever consider the example of Christ. Now, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm not suggesting that you quit coming here, that, that you give up listening to the Word, but it might be better for some to never have heard the truth than to have looked into the mirror and seen the horrible condition they were in and decided to go on living like that anyway. At least those who have never heard the truth of the gospel can honestly say, I had no idea. I had no idea the condition I was in. I, I had no idea God's high standard of righteousness, what he expects from me, how badly I'm letting him down. But what about us who do know, who do know the truth, but who continue to go about our lives in that deplorable, degenerate condition, despite what we have been shown of ourselves? Ignoring the fact that we have been shown a glimpse of the truth. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Not merely hearers who deceive themselves. That is perhaps the trickiest part in all of this, our tendency to deceive ourselves. When I listen to the Bible talk about how we ought to live as Christians, what we're supposed to be like, what God wants us to do, all the things that we get wrong because of sin, it is very easy for me to see and to name all of your sins. Do you hear me? It's easy for me to name your sins. It's a lot harder for me to name mine. I mean, it's easy for me to acknowledge that I am a sinner in a general sense. We, we all know that we are sinners in, in a general sense. But when someone points out to me a particular specific sin of which I am guilty, oh, no, no, you, you have it all wrong. You misunderstand. There's a perfectly good explanation. Isn't there always a good explanation for our own sins? Not for anyone else's, but for our own. There, there's always justification for that. Our tendency to self-deception. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. Do you forget what you're like? when you're alone with your spouse? 
Do you forget what you're like when there's no one but your children listening? Do you forget what you're like when you're at work? I mean, after all, it's just work. It's not like there's anything spiritual going on. Everybody cuts corners. Everybody takes advantage where they can. Do you forget what you're like when you're being served at an understaffed restaurant? Do you forget what you're like when you're driving down the road? As much as I would hate to have a mirror strapped to me 24-7, there is a spiritual sense in in which that is exactly what we need. Not not so I can check my hair or, or the cleanliness of my clothes, but so I can check my words, so that I can check my actions, my motivations, so that I can check the cleanliness of my heart. Because it's so easy to forget. It's human nature to forget, to ignore whether or not my words and my life in each moment are lining up with my faith. God doesn't call us to live according to human nature. God calls us to live by the power of His grace and according to His Word. Martin Luther, the the great leader of the Protestant Reformation, He didn't have much use for the letter of James. He called it an epistle of straw. He wanted to remove the letter entirely from from the New Testament canon. Thankfully, he was not successful in that. For Luther, James was contrary to the teachings of Paul, that we are saved by faith and not by works. It's, It's by right faith and not right actions that saves us. James says... Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Luther would protest that it is impossible to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's nice to try, but you won't ever be successful. And there's no way that you could ever, in all your life, feed enough widows and orphans to earn your way into heaven. Good deeds are not the means of our salvation. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is our means of salvation. The letter of James never really gets to that. James simply lists a whole bunch of admonitions about how a Christian ought to live. And he says if you're not living in this way, then your faith is meaningless, worthless. In fact, says James, faith without works is dead. What James means by that, though, is not quite as opposed to Paul as Luther would have us believe. James does not deny that salvation is by faith alone. He he simply lets us know what saving faith looks like. Saving faith looks like a person caring for orphans and widows in distress out of their love for God and for God's people. Saving faith looks like a person avoiding all the evils of the present age out of a wholehearted devotion to God and to God's ways. Saving faith looks like listening patiently and withholding harsh words. Saving faith looks like setting aside anger and putting forth a spirit of humility. Simply put, saving faith looks a whole lot like Jesus. 
Not that doing any of these things, or, or even doing all of these things, is going to save you. It won't. We are saved by God's grace through faith alone. But to claim that you have saving faith and to not be living in these ways, to say that you are saved and not to be a reflection of Jesus, if that's the case, then there's a good chance that you might just be fooling yourself. Be doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. You say you have faith? That's good. Can you prove it in the way that you live? Can you prove it in the way that you treat other people? Can you prove your faith in the way that you speak, the words and the tone of voice that you use, in how you respond when you don't get your way? Do you show forth your faith when you're tempted and struggling? Would the child living in your home see Jesus reflected in you? Would your coworker who hasn't yet accepted Christ be drawn to him because of your example? You say you have faith, that's good. Prove it. This is the same as what Jesus himself taught. In John's Gospel, Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Every branch that that bears no fruit will be removed. That's what Jesus was talking about. If we have saving faith in him, then we have given ourselves over to him and our lives will show forth that fruit that comes from him. The good works that we do in his name. Jesus taught the same thing in the Gospel of Matthew when he talked about the sheep and the goats. On the day of judgment, the Son of Man will sort out the nations just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll say to the sheep, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you tended me. I I was in prison, and you visited me. And they'll ask him, When did we do any of these things to you, Lord? And what will be the answer? As often as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And likewise, he'll say to the goats, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. When, Lord? When would we have ignored you in such a way? Just as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. You say that you have saving faith? That's nice. What have you done for the orphans and the widows? What have you done for the sick and the needy? What have you done for the foreigner or the prisoner? If you can't answer any of these, then James says you need to get back in front of that mirror. You've walked away and you've forgotten what you look like. You're living by the ways of this world rather than the ways of the kingdom. You're you're putting your own selfish wants and desires ahead of God and you're justifying it by saying that you have faith and that that's all that really matters. You've deceived yourself. 
into thinking that faith is all about just believing the right thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Believing the right thing is important. It it, it is necessary to know that Christ is your only salvation. It's of eternal consequence to know that Christ is your only salvation. But you can't just believe it. You have to give yourself and your life over to it. Faith in Christ means giving Him control. Faith in Christ means allowing Him to live in you. And when you do that, you begin to look a lot more like Him. When you have saving faith in Jesus Christ, your life becomes a reflection of His life in you. If you hold up a spiritual mirror to yourself and you don't see Jesus looking back at you, you might just be deceiving yourself. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And in this way, prove yourselves children of God. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 593 in the hymnals. Here I am, Lord.
I'm going to ask you to be seated, and if you would remain seated until the choir has processed out, and uh, then once the choir has processed out, then, then you are dismissed as well. As you go from this place, remember to keep that spiritual mirror in front of you so that you can see the truth, but more than that, so that you can live God's truth. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.